details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. Seems very odd to be doing this today, but I don't think I've ever... Well, actually, I think one year I did do a show on Christmas Day. How about that? Well, here we are. It's uh, Michael Graff in Exile, our third endeavor into this new version of the program. It is Christmas Day 2009. And... um, Well, I'm here because what else am I going to be doing? Why not? A lot of stuff to get into on the podcast. You know, I have to tell you, it's... Man, Christmas really, really sucks when you're alone. For the last 12 years, I've been in relationships, and not being in a relationship during the holidays is really bad. And barring... anyone suddenly being amazingly turned on by me or something just unforeseen happening, I'll probably not be in one on Valentine's Day either, and that's going to suck. But it is. It's weird. Being alone on Christmas Day, man, there's... I don't think there's much worse than that. Especially when you're accustomed to it. I know people go, well, you have to... You know, you should be able to learn to deal with being alone. It's like, well, yes, I can be alone just fine, but it's when you're alone all the time. That's when it kind of sucks. What can I tell you? Therein lies uh, part of the problem for the last uh, several months and a lot more of the personal stuff. But hey, why get into that today? It's uh, Christmas Day and we should be spreading love and peace and whatever. Maybe I should try and get into it. Maybe I should actually listen to some Christmas music. Hang on. Let's see. We, we 
you know? Maybe I am just in the wrong frame of mind right now. All right, here's what I'm going to do. All right, I'm going to go and pull up some Christmas music here. One second. Let me, uh, let's get, I know I've got some here. My Christmas music directory that I, that I haven't updated in a long time. Let's see. What could we listen to here? There must be something because I, I've got to, I mean, last night, listen, don't get me wrong. Okay. I had a, I had an all right evening. I spent uh, Christmas Eve with my mom, my brother, uh, my mom's boyfriend, Charlie. And uh, it was, you know, it was a nice evening and everything. It's just, <laughs> I also had several, uh, several drinks just to deal with uh, kind of the, what's going on on the inside, you know? And, uh, and uh, listen, we're going to have a, another dinner tonight and then we're going to go out for drinks or something like that. And. You know, but I don't know. I, I guess maybe, maybe it'd be nice just to have somebody else. Maybe uh, somebody to make Christmas uh, a little bit better. Here we go. Let's listen to a little Band-Aid. This, here we go. No. It's Christmas time. Oh, what says Christmas better than There's this? No need to be afraid at Christmas time. We let in light and we banish shade And in our world of plenty We can spread a smile of joy For your arms around the world at Christmas time You know what? This isn't really helping. But say a prayer Well, let me try something else. Here we go. Little, uh, little Billy Joel. On the holiday station, 99.9 KEZ. Man, I can't wait till that holiday music is over. Oh. But I'm okay, I'm gonna try and get into it. Hold on. Let's let's change the frame Have of mind. The a merry little Christmas. Yeah. Let your heart be light. From now on. It's, it's not working. I don't think it's working. Maybe I'm just in a bad mood because Christmas Eve started out so crappy at uh, about 5.15 in the morning yesterday on Christmas Eve. I got the news that the Senate passed the health care resolution, 60 to 39. It was a straight party line vote. Uh, and um, so much for that campaign promise of no secrecy, no backroom deals, none of that, right, guys? I mean, uh, we only had Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid work something out. Now this thing goes to its final stage. Uh, it's going to go to the Senate, or it's going to go to the House, rather. And uh, they're going to see... Now, now listen, there's still a chance that this could, could fail. All that has to happen is some of the House Democrats who have been kind of vocal about some of the measures that are in the Senate version of the bill, if they hold out, if they decide they're not going to vote for this because it's not what they want, it's not what they've requested, they don't like the abortion part in there for one thing, They, 
or they want a, a more full coverage plan or whatever it is. I mean, some people are holding out for better stuff. Uh, if that happens, perhaps, perhaps that'll kill this bill, but I have a feeling. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just becoming a defeatist here, but I just have a feeling it's going to get passed and... It's just sad. According to a conservative estimate, by the way, according to a conservative estimate, this is going to cost the American people... Let's see. Okay, according to a conservative estimate, this is going to cost uh, 817... No, $871 billion. Now, that's not adjusted for inflation, and that, that doesn't include some of the Medicare costs that are in this. $817 billion. Now, if you factor in some of the Medicare costs and the, the correction for inflation, over the next 10 years, this will cost upwards of $1.6 trillion. How are we going to afford this? Where's the money coming from? I guess we'll just operate under the premise that we'll just print more. I suppose we'll just borrow more. I'm sure China's just totally willing to give us even more money, even though they've told us not to. And by the way, this has nothing to do with Republicans opposing this bill. This is all about Democrats. You know, if this doesn't pass, Democrats only have themselves to blame. The Republicans cannot put up any resistance to this. It's just going to go through. But uh, some Democrats are not too happy with it. Listen, and, and this is uh, against the will of the American people, too. You like it? I'm ranting with the backdrop of the Christmas music. I think it's a nice dichotomy. Yeah. Gather near to us once more through the years. All right, so it uh, it definitely does seem, though, like this is sort of a sort of a dark day. Or yesterday was sort of a dark day in American history. Oh, another chunk of the economy. And you know what's funny about this, and I have to point this out. So yesterday, after this was passed, you know what I did? I spent about three hours yesterday morning reading through comments. You know, on CNN, AZ Central, all these other places that I look for my show prep. A lot of these uh, news articles have comments attached to them, and people have a lot of opinions about this healthcare issue. So I... I figured I would try and get the pulse of the of the people, see how people are reacting to the news of this reform being passed. Now, in poll after poll, well, there's a Rasmussen poll that was just out that 59% uh, of Americans oppose um, government-sponsored health care. So I figured that, you know, I would go on and I would read quite a few, quite a variety, a menagerie of comments. But as it turns out, and I listen, I spent three hours reading comments. I read over 1,300 comments. I wrote this down. I even made notes here. L literally, I have a whole page of just of, of things that I read yesterday. So 1,300 comments, over 1,300 comments. Do you know how many people I read that were in favor of this, that were happy about this bill being passed? Do you know how many I read? 32 out of over 1,300. There was 32 people that were supportive or happy or, you know, shoving it in the face of Republicans and the country and anybody that would listen uh, about this bill being passed. 32. 
I had to read over a hundred comments before I got to the first one, even. So it was just, and you know, you might say, well, you must have been looking on Newsmax or, uh, yeah, over on Ann Coulter's site. No, no, no. These were news sites. You know, this was on like uh, AP stories, like CNN and just on other various places all over the net. I read over 13 and I did so deliberately so as not to, so somebody couldn't accuse me of some kind of bias. And I read and I read and I read and I read. I mean, just for three hours, like I said, over 1300 comments, 32 positive comments about this being passed. I mean, the American people uh, overwhelmingly are, are against this. And yet, here you go. This is the problem with representative democracy. You know, the will of the American people be damned. We're going to do what we're going to do. You know, it's a power grab. And this was a straight party line vote, by the way, which was weird because we had heard that there were Democrats in the Senate that were opposed to this. But when it came down to it, I guess they got pulled aside and they got enough pressure from Nancy Pelosi and from Harry Reid and from everybody else and uh, from the president, I'm sure. And we read those stories as well about how um, a couple of people, uh, Stupak from um, Michigan, he said he was being pressured. You know, a lot of people are being pressured to sort of accept this, and I guess they caved into the pressure. They said, well, might as well just go along with it. Might as well accept. We'll take what we can get here. And that's what happened yesterday by a margin of 60 to 39. And now, like I said, it goes back to the House, final step. And then... And then on, um, and then it'll probably, well, assuming it passes there, which I can't imagine it won't, um, it'll go to the president's desk. He will likely sign it, even though some Democrats would be very upset if he did because they want a more full coverage bill or they want something stripped out of this bill and they think that the president would be kind of caving in if he, if he gave in on this, if he didn't stand his ground and say, listen, I want the bill that I proposed. So there is some opposition on the left about this. And again, Republicans, they're a non-factor in this entire discussion. This is all about the Democrats right now. That's, that's what it is. And uh, I'm going to be very interested to see. Now, in comment after comment, I noted over 100 people that were commenting about they want to throw out all the incumbents in 2010. They just want to take universally throw out the incumbents. And I'd love to see that. I would believe me. I would, uh, it would be almost sexually gratifying if we could take all the incumbents that are currently in the House and just out the window and anybody that's in the Senate. And, and again, I know that there are a few incumbents in there. I know that there are a few guys in there that are actually doing their best and fighting the good fight. So don't misconstrue me by saying I, I'm not, I'm not trying to broad brush and say they're all scum, but by and large, it just, there just has to be a house cleaning. And the Senate, anybody that's up for re-election, I think we should throw them out too. It's sad. It really is. I mean, part of the problem is you have guys in there like Al Franken who all of a sudden thinks he runs the Senate. A guy that shouldn't, by all accounts, shouldn't even be in the Senate in the first place. Some kind of underhanded things went on to get so that he's in the Senate anyway, thanks to the good folks of Minnesota. Nice job, guys. But, okay, never mind. He's in there. You know, I'm not going to do what the Democrats did in 2004 and, and go back and try and protest the results of the election. It happened. It may have been underhanded. Whatever. It's done. We can't change it. Period. So I'm just, but I, I am kind of thinking, you know, it is time for a major house cleaning. 
And I'd like to see Americans actually do it. But will they? Probably not. In spite of the fact that congressional approval numbers are sub 20%. In spite of the fact that Barack Obama's disapproval rating is climbing and climbing rapidly. His approval rating is now down to 46%. So, or 44% rather, the latest Rasmussen poll. So in spite of that, I'm sure, I'm sure that the American people are going to cave when it comes to pulling the lever in 2010 and probably in 2012. But again, 2012, far away, but I don't think the Republicans have much to offer. A third party candidate really doesn't have anything to offer. At least right now, we don't, I don't know of any candidate that's out there that has anything. I know we're, we're hearing some of the, the old retreads. You have Mitt Romney. Oh my God, really? Yeah, Mitt Romney, uh, Sarah Palin. You know, if the Republicans want to, if they trot out Sarah Palin to run in 2012, we might as well not even bother to have an election. Might as well not even bother. We'll just call it um, decision, what, what should it be called? Decision 2012. Everybody loses. Because in that scenario, God, you talk about a doomsday scenario. You're running Barack Obama against Sarah Palin. Whoever the third party candidate, I, I'll run. If it comes down to that in 2012, I will run for president. It will be me. And, and I will try. And listen, I got some write-in votes for president this last time. Uh, we had confirmed 35 people wrote me in for president in 2008. So, you know, and that was very nice. I had some people send me their uh, pictures of their um, ballots. Um, so I got, I got some write-in votes. That was good. I was very honored, even though technically I, I really couldn't have become the president because at the time I didn't meet the constitutional qualifications for doing so. I wasn't, I'm not, and I still don't, I'm not 35 years of age yet. But in 2012, 2012, December of 2012, I turned uh, 35. So that's depressing. All right, well, <clears throat> so that's the latest on the, on the Senate news, the healthcare news, all that, so... We're, uh, we'll have to deal with that as it comes along. Of course, we'll keep talking about it, keep you updated, keep you informed on it. You know, that's what we do around here. We talk about these issues. All right, some other things that I want to get into. Um, we have a global, we have some global warming news. Oh, great global warming. You know, again, <clears throat> it's weird that we have these climate summits and then all of a sudden the weather turns sharply colder they keep talking about global warming and how it's going to kill us all and yet then all of a sudden it turns sharply colder nationwide temperatures almost everywhere are running well below normal we have snow that's by record snow minneapolis seeing the the most uh, snow on christmas in 30 years which you can imagine if it's minneapolis that's got to be a lot dallas has the first white christmas in over 80 years so again, it's, uh, it's a lot of snow. We're talking about a lot of snow, a lot of cold temperatures, but yet they're still carrying on about global warming. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Wait, let's see here. Uh, oh, the AP has their Athlete of the Decade and their Athlete of the Year awards uh, for 2009. This is going to be interesting. I have to tell you, this is, this is tremendous. We alluded to this on the show on Tuesday about the Athlete of the Decade. I think we actually talked about that a little bit. But the athlete of the year, this is really interesting. And baseball fans probably have yet more reasons to hate the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. 
as they just continue to go out and buy players and take over the league. And uh, and it seems that <clears throat> other teams are sort of co-conspirators and contributing to the rich getting richer, you know, good teams getting better, and the bad teams getting worse. It's weird. You're just seeing this all over Major League Baseball. There's This offseason so far has just been brutal. Of course, if you're a Yankee fan, you got to be loving it right about now. The Yankees have just gone out and they've already made themselves better. And there's talk of them doing even more. They're going to have a glorified all-star team. I mean, right as it is right now, their number four starter in their rotation, their number four guy is Javier Vasquez, a guy who was, uh, what, fourth in the uh, fourth in the National League in Cy Young balloting last year. And I mean, a damn good pitcher. I mean, he's got great stuff. It's sometimes... He does have a tendency to walk a lot of people, but he's got great stuff. And you can imagine, the Yankees, that's that's their number four guy. That was Atlanta's, like, number two guy last year, Javier Vasquez. <laughs> he was really, you could probably basically make the argument he was their best pitcher. And Atlanta's had some, uh, well, they have, they've always had fine pitching, but apparently a lot of other teams are now becoming the farm system for the New York Yankees. All right, so all good stuff to consider. We'll uh, get into it as uh, we go along here. Right now, what you're listening to is Michael Groff in Exile. Well, I know what you're doing. Christmas Day uh, podcast. I know, it's so weird. When I did that show on Christmas Day, the Christmas night, what was it, like 2001, I think, or 2002? Wishing on a star. And I think I was a little bit buzzed when I did that one. Right now, I'm straight up sober. I should probably go change that. We'll take a break and come back. We'll drink a little bit, come back, and uh, get into more stuff. All right. That sounds like a great idea. If you think I'm doing Christmas bumpers, forget it. We'll be back. Back for segment number two. 
you want to get in touch with the show, mike at kmgx.com is the email address. It's mike at kmgx.com. Also up on Facebook, you can find me, Michael Graff. All of our contact information and more is, of course, available at michaelgraff.com, where maybe one day I'll post some updates. But for now, you can always get our podcast there, and I'll try to keep it up every day. Uh, yesterday, I, I just didn't do one. I ran out of time. I was so busy yesterday. I mean, my God. Or something. This is a weird story. Call the irony police because this is this is fantastic. In Illinois, there is a candidate for comptroller, and he's a big conservative activist there. And he was removed from the premises yesterday because he dared to do something bold. He, uh, well, there was a sign posted by an atheist group. He took it down, and then, well, all hell broke loose. Here's what happened. This guy by the name of William J. Kelly, he announced uh, Tuesday that he had planned to take down the sign posted by the Freedom of Religion Foundation. And then on Wednesday, he tried to make good on this promise. But then as soon as he did, uh, police escorted him away. Illinois Secretary of State's spokeswoman, Henry Hopped. Yes, her name is Henry, apparently. How's, how's that work? The spokesman. Anyway. anyway. Uh, she said that he was escorted from the rotunda by state capitol police. They briefly detained him. They wrote an incident report and then directed him to leave the building. Quote, it doesn't matter how we feel about the message on display, Hopped said. Our obligation is to protect the property within the state capitol building, and we would do the same for any other display. Kelly, though, said that the sign was hate speech and that he did not believe it was appropriate for a sign that mocks religion to be placed next to a Christmas tree or, or also near a nativity scene. Quote, I don't think the state of Illinois has any business denigrating or mocking any religion, Kelly said. And I think that's what this verbiage on the sign was doing. So here's what the sign said exactly. Now, this, again, is posted by an atheist group. This is a sign that sits right next to a nativity scene and Christmas tree, so you can picture this. It's like, a, it's like a madness. It's just a whole menagerie in this Capitol building. The sign reads, quote, At the time of the winter solstice, let reason prevail. There are no gods, no devils, no angels, no heavens or hell. There is only our natural world. Religion is just myth and superstition that hardens hearts and enslaves minds. Wow. So that was the sign that stirred up all the controversy. Now, it's kind of ironic, though, that a freedom from religion organization would post a sign next to a Christmas tree and a nativity scene on a Capitol building because they're the same people that always rally against any kind of Christmas display being associated with the state capitol or any sort of state or federal government building. And yet here they are interjecting their own faith into everybody else's business. Because as you know, atheism is just another faith. It is just another belief which is not substantiated, which is it's just as easily mutually substantiated as Christianity or anything else. There's, there's no ostensible difference between the two. One believes in a God, the other does not. And neither can really prove their point. So they are both faiths. They are both beliefs. 
Of course, I've always said that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian or any other religion. Being an atheist requires a lot of faith. You have to be able to look up into the sky, look up into the universe of stars that surround you and look at the world around you and humanity and, and animals and creatures and life itself. And you have to go, man, what an amazing fluke all that is. That's what you have to do to be an atheist. It takes a lot of faith, a lot more faith than it does to be a Christian. Regardless, though, it is still a faith. And so it's kind of weird that atheists who are always so against cramming religion down every other, everybody's throat, they're the same people now that are doing the same thing here. Now, here's a great idea. I have an idea. How about no displays? Period. There. Solves the problem. Done. The sign was also at this, uh, on display at the Capitol at the, this time last year. The group said that it filed for a permit to post the display in response to the state's decision to put up a nativity. But Kelly said that he believes the problem is not only the verbiage on the sign, but also its proximity to the Christmas tree. Look, who cares? If a sign, if a, if a sign that says basically there is no God is so damaging to people, then maybe their religious belief really isn't that strong to begin with. I mean, honestly, does, is it really going to hurt Christmas or the spirit of Christmas to have a sign that says there is no God and Christmas sucks, ha, 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 right next to a, right next to a Christmas tree? I mean, is it really going to damage the holiday that badly? Because if it is, that really does prove that maybe, maybe atheism really is stronger than Christianity, if that is indeed the case. What a dumb debate. The Madison, Wisconsin-based Freedom From Religion Foundation has placed the sign in several state capitol buildings across the country. As to Kelly's claims that the sign mocks religion, uh, Foundation co-president Dan Barker said, quote, He's kind of right because the last couple of sentences do criticize religion. And of course, the beginning is a celebration of the winter solstice. But that kind of speech is protected as well. Speech that is critical and speech that is supportive. Well, of course it's supported speech. I think anybody would believe or understand that that is indeed supported speech. I don't think there's really much of a, of a discussion or a debate there. But at the same time... I just say, you know, if, if it's going to cause that much controversy, let's not have any displays in state capitol buildings. You know, I'm, I'm just really tired of the whole thing. I'm tired of having this constant debate, this back and forth between atheists and Christians. and You know, because next, the Jews, I'm sure, are sitting there going, well, wait a minute. How come there wasn't a menorah put up for Hanukkah? Okay, we didn't have a menorah put up. We didn't have something made up for that kooked out, whacked out, made up Kwanzaa. We didn't have that. We didn't have uh, references to Buddha in there. Quote, we atheists believe that the nativity scene is mocking humanity by suggesting that those who do not believe in Jesus will go to hell, Barker said. But notice how we are not defacing or stealing nativity scenes because we disagree with their speech. No, you're just posting signs next to them. Like, why bother? See, part of me kind of goes, why are the atheists getting involved in this in the first place? If they're so anti-religious, they're so anti-God, rather, why, um, why are they even interfering with this? I mean, why not just let people have their God and their silly beliefs? 
and, uh, and just leave it at that. But of course, they don't want to do that. See, because what they have is a faith also, and they want to cram it down people's throats. See, it's a whole thing. It's a weird psychology. It's all people that can't act as adults. Well, you're going to have a display, so I'm going to have a display too. Uh, and if you dare to mock my display, I'm going to mock your display. Your display is mocking me with its silence. Your nativity scene is mocking humanity. See, a nativity scene just sits there. It doesn't actually have words that say anything. It's not sitting there saying, if you don't believe in a nativity scene, you're going to hell. It doesn't say that. But on the other hand, this other sign says, uh, let, uh, you know, you're mindless if you believe in this crap. It hardens hearts and enslaves minds. So I just think the whole thing is a ridiculous discussion. And so let's avoid it by just not having any displays whatsoever in state capitol buildings or in any federal government building. There. Problem solved. This is the second year that the Freedom From Religion sign has been in the Illinois state capitol. Hobbes said that in addition to the sign, the nativity scene and the Christmas tree, there's also a soldier's angel's wreath and a tabletop display from the American Civil Liberties Union that says uh, the group defends freedom of religion. Oh, there is a Hanukkah menorah, menorah and um, that was on display, but that ended uh, last uh, Saturday, I guess. So anyway, for the second year in a row, the Capitol also has uh, an aluminum Festivus pole commemorating the fictional holiday created on Seinfeld. Do you know that people have Festivus parties? I wanted to talk about this. There are people all around the world now that are, that are having these Festivus parties. It, it was something, it was a concept made up on Seinfeld. I'm not going to recap the whole episode for you, but it's just a, it's a made up thing. And uh, now people have Festivus parties, which I think is actually kind of neat. Something on Seinfeld has actually made its way into life. Art imitates life. Life imitates art. You know, I had a class. It, it just, this just reminds me, this tangent reminds me. I had a class in college. It was a sociology class. I think it was sociology 368 or something. Sociology of everyday life. And the guy that taught it was this 60-year-old guy, nicest guy ever, easiest class in the history of the universe. And one of the things that he would always do to talk about everyday life and the situations and the sociology of, of man in, in the everyday world that we live in. He would best exemplify it by showing us episodes of Seinfeld. So he would take everyday ordinary situations and, and play episodes of Seinfeld and relate them to each other. And now this just makes me think of that class. I mean, this guy, if he's still alive, that guy's got to be sitting there going, see, he thought that Seinfeld was like the greatest show. So we watched episode after episode of Seinfeld in this class. I got credit for this class. I got an A. That was three credit hours right there. That helped me get a Soch minor. I mean, look, I'm not complaining. It was a great class. I loved it. Our assignments were easy. I don't even remember having tests in that class. I think we did, but God, I just remember them being so easy. All right. And uh, here's a great story too. You know, for everybody that's uh, always talked about British food being terrible, the, the stereotype is that British food sucks. And I have to tell you that that stereotype exists for a reason. I've been to a couple of British pubs here in Phoenix and then in LA. And now I've never been to one in London or any, you know, like an authentic British pub. But 
If the food in, in these here in the United States is any representation of how bad the food is in the UK, oh my God, no wonder. And uh, this story right here isn't going to help uh, certify, it's not going to help change that stereotype anytime soon. Check it out. A London restaurant has asked diners to sign a legal waiver before tucking into their traditional Christmas pudding in case they hurt themselves on the silver charms inside. The owners of High Timber, which is located in the, on the River Thames in the uh, city of London, in their financial district, they said that they were advised to draw up a, uh, a, a, a form by lawyers who regularly dine there. Quote, it, was cr- it has created a bit of a stir in the restaurant and people looked at it disbelieving at first, said co-owner Nelson Strauss. Quote, I thought it was going to be a pain, but decided to do it to cover my backside. We're based in the city, so a lot of my customers are lawyers and they suggested it. It's a bit crazy, but I decided to take their advice. The waiver says, quote, I absolve entirely high timber from all blame or liability should I come to any harm, including but not limited to a chipped tooth or any injury as a result of swallowing it. Christmas pudding, which is a festive favorite in Britain, is a steamed dessert made with dried fruit, nuts, spices, and brandy. Sounds terrible. It's common to put several charms or coins in the pudding, which are believed to bring prosperity to the new year, as well as probably, you know, nickel poisoning or something. Yeah, acute copper poisoning. So you have to sign a waiver before eating. That's usually a sign that um, you probably don't want to eat there, I'm guessing. So I mentioned off the top of the show some global warming news. You know, again, we had that big climate summit a few weeks ago. And now, ever since then, the the weather has turned sharply colder. Well, I mean, imagine that. In winter, it turns cold. So all this talk about global warming really goes over like a lead balloon with most people. Yeah, there's global warming, man, as people are digging out of four feet of snow. So Minneapolis is experiencing a blizzard. In fact, uh, blizzard conditions are uh, extending all across North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, and points south as well, as well as freezing rain, sleet, and well below normal temperatures. Snow is expected anywhere from Dallas all the way north to Minneapolis, Grand Forks, North Dakota, Bismarck, Pierre, South Dakota, everywhere, just all up and down the Plain States. And the East Coast, they've had plenty of snow. Portions of Maryland have had uh, anywhere from 6 to 12 inches. Some places have had more. Blizzard conditions continue there and are expected to continue into the weekend. And yet, here we are. We're still talking about the global warming nonsense. It just continues on, doesn't it? Uh, Let's see. Yeah, Minneapolis, uh, the snowiest Christmas in over 30 years. Uh, Dallas, Texas, going to have a white Christmas for the first time in over 80 years. So there, that that just tells you a little bit about what's going on right now. And very cold temperatures as well. Temps uh, plummeting. Um, Let's see, here's a guy uh, trying to shovel snow in Minneapolis. He says that uh, he just gave up. He he said, I should have started about two days ago. Yeah, probably. So uh, some of the interstates in North Dakota, South Dakota, and um, Nebraska have been closed because of the icy, snowy, and otherwise just treacherous conditions. So... 
authorities have uh, sort of shut down some of the roads there. Once again, glad to see that we're uh, that we're still talking about the global warming, huh? Oh well, well, eat it up, Al Gore. Hey, you know, might as well keep firing away, keep having those climate summits, and we'll just keep digging out of the snowstorms, huh? Unbelievable. All right, take a quick uh, time out here. When we come back, we'll talk a few more issues. Got a lot happening in Major League Baseball. We've got... uh, I I have a a little story of Christmas cheer. A a good deed, a positive news story to give you. Something to brighten up the day just a little bit. Why not? It is Christmas after all. And it's Michael Graff in exile. Crowded streets are cleared away One by one Segment number three, the final segment for uh, this edition of Michael Graff in Exile, Christmas Day 2009. Yes, that's right. Recording a podcast on Christmas Day. What could be better, right? I don't know. Yeah, let me get some more beer. That's good. So, uh, a couple of interesting things to get into here. Uh, Major League Baseball, some of the happenings there. Ah, the rich get richer. It's been an interesting offseason. The New York Yankees have been the lucky recipient of, well, another world championship in 2010, it looks like. They're well on their way, wouldn't you say? So, they made a trade with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, a couple of days ago, they acquired Javier Vasquez. Now, Vasquez has some really good stuff. He had some uh, very good numbers with the Braves last year. And he was fourth in the National League in Cy Young balloting. So you have to figure the guy uh, had a pretty good season. It's too bad the, the Braves really didn't. But uh, he finished, uh, yeah, he got he even got a first place vote in the Cy Young balloting. So he did very well. They acquired him. All they had to give up for him was Melky Cabrera, who's a serviceable outfielder. But really, he's not even the option. He's not even really part of the equation there. 
in New York. He, he definitely had some big hits for them, and he's certainly not a terrible player, but just serviceable. I mean, I think uh, probably for the Braves, he'll wind up hitting what? Like 260 and have have like 11 home runs maybe for the season and, and 55 RBIs or something. And especially in that ballpark, he is not going to ver- fare very well there. But uh, the Yankees got better with that trade. I mean, they really just stole from the Atlanta Braves. And I, actually, I couldn't even really call it a steal because the Atlanta Braves willingly made the Yankees better. They enriched the Yankees further. And as if uh, fans outside of New York and Boston didn't have more reason to hate uh, the Yankees and Red Sox, you know, the Red Sox, they acquired John Lackey. They got better. And they're still trying to... Listen, they're not going to get Jason Bay back. Uh, He's a free agent. He's not going to come back to Boston. At least I don't think so. But as it is, you know that they're going to go out. They're going to get somebody. They're going to make some more moves before the offseason is over. The Yankees, in addition to Javier Vasquez, they also got Curtis Granderson. Johnny Damon is like plan C for them right now. I mean, he's really not even... He's another guy. He's not really part of the equation uh, for the Yankees at this point. And he's, what, 30, 36 years old, 37, something like that. So Johnny Damon, probably not going to be there. Uh, Not going to be part of it. They still have some... They're going to go after Jason Bay. You know that. They're going to go for him hard. And I'm sure they're probably going to wind up getting him. Uh, Maybe Matt Holliday. Matt Holliday is another option uh, for... Look, this it's just a team that whatever they need, they go out and they get. If they need to spend 11 million bucks, they do it. Now, there are other teams in baseball that could do that. The Seattle Mariners have enough money to where they could do that. The Minnesota Twins, there's enough money there. The Twins have more money than anybody else, but they just won't spend any. So every year they have about a $70 million payroll. They have some good talent. And then what happens when they become free agents? The Twins say, well, we're not going to pay you. And then they leave and they go elsewhere. Johan Santana should have never been allowed to leave Minnesota. He should have never left. They should have given him such a lucrative contract that he could not stand to leave the Twin Cities. But, of course, that's not what happens. Not when you're dealing with the, uh, the cheap asses poll ad there that runs the Minnesota Twins. Now, nice. There you go. So, uh, look, fans of uh, of baseball, baseball fans, anybody that's outside of Yankee fan or Red Sox fan, they probably are pretty much hating the Yankees and Red Sox and Major League Baseball in general for this because the rich get richer. Now, you have to kind of be mad at teams like the Braves, though, and, and even to some extent the Diamondbacks or the Tigers for even bothering to help. Why do they have, if I was a, somebody made this point the other day, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast. Somebody made this point the other day. And I've said this for years too. If I were a general manager in major league baseball, I'd never trade with the Yankees. Why would you trade with the Yankees? It just doesn't make any sense because chances are they're not going to make a trade with you unless it makes them substantially better. And unless they're robbing you stealing from your organization. That's about the only way they're going to make a trade. So they go out and they buy themselves the best players, and they're serious about it. The the Yankees have spent more than a billion dollars the last uh, five years or whatever, and uh, now they finally got a world championship to show for it. But they spent all that money from 2001 through 2009, and until this last season, they didn't get a championship out of the deal. They went to the World Series twice, 
and they flamed out in the playoffs several other years, and then they had the one season where they didn't even make the playoffs, which for Yankee fans and for the Yankee organization is just terrible because they spend more money than anybody else. They should be in the playoffs every year. But fans are just, I mean, the vitriol right now, and I'm hearing it all across baseball, they're just, they're like, well, why bother? I will say the Seattle Mariners made have made some nice moves so far. They got Sean Figgins. They got Cliff Lee. And that is two very nice additions. You're talking about legitimate number one and number two starters in the pitching lineup now. You've got um, Hernandez and Cliff Lee. Two guys with phenomenal stuff, phenomenal ability. That's the, that starting staff for the Mariners right now, not bad. I mean, the top two there, that is, those are two legitimate aces. And then the top of the lineup with Ichiro leading off and then Sean Figgins, number two, there you go. But then the problem is there's no power in the lineup after that. You really don't have anything left to complement that lineup. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of guys that might hit 20 home runs, maybe. Not even. I mean, when they got Adrian Beltre, they thought they were getting the power in that lineup. Remember when they had Adrian Beltre, they had Richie Saxon, they had Raul Ibanez, Unieski Betancourt, they had all these guys, and they were putting a lot of stock into these guys. They were, they were really hoping that that lineup that they had, they were really going to be able to uh, dominate the American League West. Well, the, the problem was is that, well, part of the problem was they really didn't have great pitching. And then Sexton kept getting injured. Beltrate, well, he was never going to live up to the 48 home runs and the million RBIs that he put up in his contract year with the Dodgers. So there was the problem. So the Mariners now at least will be competitive. The Angels lost John Lackey. They lost Sean Figgins. What are they going to do? How are they going to respond? You know, and then the Rangers are in the fold there. But, you know, the AL West... Now there's definitely been something of a power shift. And maybe if the Mariners just go out and get a bat, but will they spend the money? And really, does it matter anyway? Let's say the Mariners do improve. Let's say they get better. And let's say they even are good enough to contend for the AL West. They're not going to beat the Yankees, not in a five or a seven game series. It's just a, it's a, a penis contest between the Yankees and Red Sox right now. And you got to admit that right now, the Yankees have got the bigger one because... The Red Sox, yeah, you know, they have a, a decent uh, starting pitching rotation. But not compared to the Yankees. Not now, especially. Look, your number four guy is Javier Vasquez. Your number four guy for the Red Sox is Daisuke Matsuzaka, who totally fell off the table this last season. Again, another guy who was way overhyped and the Red Sox way overpaid for. And he had that gyro ball or whatever the hell it was, and that was just a bunch of hype. The guy, listen, he throws 98-mile-an-hour straight fastballs. Big deal. You know, there are guys that do that. I mean, the guy is kind of hard to hit, but not. I mean, his ERA, it's not like he goes out there and has a 2.3 ERA and strikes out 300 guys in a season. You know, he's a six-inning guy, maybe. And then the last season, he couldn't even get to six innings. He would get to about the fourth or the fifth inning, and he'd have to be pulled out of the game because his pitch count would be at 117, and he would have already given up three or four runs. And he's pitching in a ballpark that is you know, somewhat uh, offensive friendly. I mean, I understand that. 
But at the same time, come on. You spent all that money on Matsuzaka. That's their number four guy. So, But it, regardless, you know, anybody else in that division, yeah, the Rays, they won it in 2008. You know, big deal. A fluke came along. Plus, the Yankees had a ton of injuries. They were still paying the $9 billion or whatever the hell they, they owed Carl Pavano and a bunch of other schlubs that they had picked up that turned out not to pan out on their lineup. But really... Do you? Tampa Bay is not going to contend. They were the one-year wonder. Uh, the the Baltimore Orioles. Well, it's see the Yankees are partially fortunate that Peter Angelos is maybe one of the worst owners in Major League Baseball, and subsequently the Orioles are never really going to be in contention. They're always going to have some talent. You know, they have guys like Nick Markakis, and they have Luke Scott, and you know these guys, and they had. But, I mean, think about all the guys. They had Eric Bedard there. They couldn't hold on to that guy. They had that. Uh, listen, Guthrie is not a bad pitcher. They Listen, they have legitimate pitching on, on the Orioles. But the problem is, is that that's not, it's gone as, as soon as uh, free agency comes along. They're not going to stay in Baltimore because Baltimore is not going to spend the money. Or even if they do spend the money, well, they spend it on the wrong guys. You know, and or they give it to guys that had a nice uh, couple of nice seasons in contract years and then they flame out. Boy, that sounds familiar. Eric Burns. All right. Anyway, um, so that's some of the happenings in Major League Baseball. I, I really don't see. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays. Well, they'll always. Uh, well, now that they don't have uh, Roy Halladay, uh, what are the Blue Jays going to do? They've dropped from being the. Third place, slightly over 500 team that underachieves every year. Now they're going to be the under 500 team that probably will still score quite a few runs and they're probably going to still have a pretty dynamic offense, but pitching will be a problem. And they'll be like sort of the, the Texas Rangers of the American League East. They'll score quite a few runs, but they'll lose 10 to 7 every night because bullpen, starting pitching, going to be a problem. Going to be a big problem. I mean, no, everybody else is playing for second place. We're really third place in the American League because the, the Red Sox are going to be number two. The Yankees are going to be number one. And that's how it is pretty much going to go. The Angels have dropped off. The Mariners have picked up slightly, and maybe they're the new number three team in the American League. And then the Twins are somewhere in the mix for now until Joe Maurer becomes a free agent, and then he's gone. And, you know, then... And, and yeah, and Michael Kadire and Kubel and, uh, and Justin Morneau, as soon as all their contracts run out and then they're no longer a part of Minnesota. But see, Minnesota's weird because they have a great farm system. They'll replace them with equally good talent, but then they won't follow it up. They won't keep any guys. If Minnesota had kept all the pieces of the puzzle that they had had over the last several years, I think that they would be legitimate World Series contenders every year. Certainly legitimate American League pennant contender every year. But, you know, they don't keep those pieces. So it's it's kind of a moot point. I mean, yeah, they did go out and sign Carl Pavano, though. That was... Get that out of here. Good, good luck to that. All right, and finally, uh, a story of Christmas cheer here to sort of uh, wrap up the, the holiday, 
and uh, put sort of, listen, I, I have to say that, yeah, we do a lot of, we've done a lot of uh, negative stories and it's been kind of a, kind of a downer of a show. So let's try this, especially with my open. But here you go. Um, this woman was taking the subway. She had, I guess, had a lot of Christmas presents on her. She's in New York City. And we all know, you know, the rotten apple, how bad it can be. So she left, she accidentally left her gifts on the subway. So the normal conclusion to this story would be some bum on a subway, uh, probably after urinating on the gifts, probably got himself a, a nice, uh, uh, some nice gifts to take back to his, uh, to his, I don't know, box or wherever he lives on the street or, or some guy just came along on the subway and found himself a nice bunch of gifts and he didn't have to do any Christmas shopping. Well, you know how, you know how humanity is, especially in New York City. But hang on a second. That stereotype is going to have to be put on hold for just a second because Christmas cheer came a few days early for Nicole Snow and Dennis Noonan, who were two strangers that were brought together by goodness and Facebook. On Monday, Snow was on her way to work from the post office where uh, she made a horrifying mistake. Quote, I got off the train to transfer to the B and I realized as I turned that I had left my bags on the seat next to me. She felt helpless. Quote, so I ran back to the corner right as the doors were closing and I saw the bag on the seat and I thought, that's it. It's gone. Uh, little did she know that uh, as she got off at Columbus Circle, a very observant Dennis Noonan got on heading to 18th Street um, and it seems her bag of a commuting Christmas goodness had an angel. Quote, when I realized the doors had already closed and so I went, I got the bag and then I thought, somebody's not going to have a good Christmas, he said. But see, this is where the story takes an interesting little turn. So then the guy, he takes these, he takes these gifts, brings them to his place. He finds out, he sees, you know, a couple of names on here. And uh, he looks up this woman on Facebook. He sends her a message. He says, hi, Nicole, just wondered if you lost some gifts, Noonan wrote to Snow. And then she wrote back, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You're an angel. So on Tuesday, Noonan returned the gifts to Snow. Quote, we're trying to do what we would want other people to do for us, he said. Quote, if I hadn't decided to send the checkbook back to, uh, back to that person, then my name wouldn't be on there and I wouldn't get my gifts back. So anyway, it was a great, it was a, a, just a great story. Woman loses her gifts on a, on a train. She has them in a bag and uh, this guy finds them and uh, returns them to her. And it, it's a great story and uh, something actually somewhat positive for Christmas. How about that? And you say I'm only negative. Ha! Well, that sort of debunks that, now, doesn't it? Actually, it really is a nice story, and it's good to see that, um, you know, that not everybody is the animal that you think they are, and that people, there are actually some relatively decent people out there. Now... I think it's time for me to uh, to do something decent myself, and that's uh, get.
get to drinking because that's really what Christmas is all about for me right now. That's what you do when you spend it alone. You have a Christmas dinner, then you stop by a bar and you get wasted. I mean, why not? I mean, that sounds like a, a great plan for a Christmas evening, doesn't it? I can't think of anything else. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, you want to get in touch with us, you can do so. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. And uh, that's always available. You can always uh, check us out on Facebook, MichaelGraff.com for all of our contact information and a whole lot more. We'll try to keep these podcasts going up to date. I can record them whenever I want. Hell, I could even post them on the weekend. But, you know, listen, let's not get nuts. But we'll definitely be back on Monday and we'll do another one. Yes, that's right. That's the way I'm going to be doing shows now, even on Mondays. Which is something I just wouldn't do before, but might as well now. Um, with, you know, sort of the holiday thing going on, I'm sure there will be a couple of days here and there where I won't be recording podcasts over the next week. But I, I had thought of an idea of going to Vegas, but since I don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition, if anybody's listening and you'd like to go to Vegas with me, I do have a comp for New Year's. Yes, free room. I mean, yeah, you'd have to stay with me. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't have to. <laughs> I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. I would love to go there. That'd be fun. Get away for a while. Sounds like a great one. All right, well, uh, we will be back Monday for another edition of Michael Groff in Exile. Have a uh, tremendous rest of your Christmas. Tomorrow you get to return all the unwanted gifts, all the horrendous clothes, the broken stuff that you didn't want. I got a great camera. I could actually do video blogging now, actually. I gotta thank my mom for this camera. That, that was an awesome gift. All right, we'll see you Monday. Have a great one.